I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, your source for Pac-12 gambling news with William Hills, Max Meyer, and the home of the Bader and College Football Statistical Model with Mr. Rob Bowen, and it's Carl Durrell Day. Bow, bow, bow. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> See you. Five-year contract to Carl Durrell at $3.6 million. This is the reported numbers. We'll see the final numbers uh, likely tomorrow. We're recording Sunday evening, and so, so the details are coming out, but officially announced. And my goodness, if you had, we said this a little bit before the podcast, but if you had Carl Durrell as being the next CU coach and ASU at the top of the standings in the Pac-12 uh, basketball standings, you get the prize this year. My goodness, it has been a crazy year. But Max, let's go to you immediately. What what were your impressions when you saw that the, and there were so many names that were being thrown out there, but immediately uh, you're, you're thinking, who on earth are they going to hire? If you hadn't heard our last podcast last week where we were going through different names in the difficult spot. Spot that CU is in, they finally turned their sights to Carl Durrell, and, and this happened pretty quickly. Yeah, and if you would have told me that Colorado hired a former USC football coach, first I would have guessed Jim Mora, then I would have guessed New Heisel, and then I don't even know, I, I, I might have even guessed Bob Toledo before <laughs> uh, Carl Durrell. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing to me that Colorado would basically just hire a coach with no pizzazz around the name. Uh, granted, I mean, it, it is definitely late in the process, but yeah, just a really uninspiring hire overall. Rob, name name pops up, and I'm thinking, and, and there were so many names that they were floating, right? The first round of targets that they had were floated, and then they kind of moved on, and then the second round came up, and it was... Jim Mora and I think Bielema was probably still in there, even though he was part of that first wave. But you saw names like Graham Harrell and Alex Grinch. And I'm just thinking there is no way that those guys are jumping to see you because they, they are in such a good position to get a better job like in a, in a year or two years with just some really solid uh programs and conferences that have more money and so those names were floated and then faded away really quickly and then Darrell happened. What, what did you think when the news really started to solidify? I mean, this is a wild, wild left field hire. And <laughs> I mean, people talk about like, you know, that, that Mel Tucker contract at Michigan State. I mean, if you think that contract is bad, I mean, Carl Durrell just got, you know, $3.6 million a year on a five-year deal from Colorado uh, for Car- <laughs> Carl Durrell. Um, you know, it was, it was a surprise. I mean, it's a name that, it's a name that I mean, really, I don't think anyone in college football would have thought of. I mean, this and this may be even 
uh, is more of a surprise than the Herm Edwards hire. And that was, I mean, at the time, that was a really wacky left field hire. But at least like Ray Anderson used to be, I mean, it was like, you know, Herm Edwards agent, right? So they really knew each other. This is really out there. Uh, Darrell has been coaching in the pros for a long time. He's been a position coach with Miami. Yeah. And just wasn't that, I mean, really not just, I mean, people go all the way back to the, um, to the UCLA days, but I mean, he was in college as recently as 2014 and he was terrible. Um, the last time he was in college. So just, just a wild, wild hire for Colorado to, and to go from names that you maybe would have expected. And then it feels like we skipped over names that you would have expected less. Like maybe they go hire Joe Salavea and give him a shot or something like that to Carl Durrell, <laughs> just way out there. <laughs> Also, is it is it really weird that the Pac-12 has been loading up on Vanderbilt offensive coordinators? <laughs> yeah, that's not a good. I mean, sign. there's only one of them that was any good. No, well, well because John Donovan, <laughs> and um, why am I totally blanking on, on Utah's? Andy Ludwig, yeah, yeah, I mean, like who was the good one? Yeah. <laughs> Singular Pac-12 conference of former Vanderbilt offensive coordinators. Well, I know we yeah. have we I know we have a lot of CU fans that listen. So let's talk about the positives here and then we'll get into the negatives because we'll probably spend more time on that, to be frank. But uh, we should all say if you this is your first time listening to the podcast, we record weekly. We uh, go, again, go back to our CU podcast last week where we were talking about uh, the coaching hire and the, the basically the hot potato, like you had mentioned, Rob, that they were given by Michigan State and just being able to scramble and try to find a coach. And now we're here. So definitely check that out. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at 12 pack radio at one, two PAC radio. Let's, let's talk a few, let's try to keep on the sunny side to start. Um, I went back and looked at the S and P numbers for Darrell's tenure at UCLA. And even though four of the five years that he was there, UCLA went 500, they did have that 10 and two year. And I thought actually the advanced metrics were going to be worse than they than they actually were. And I, normally we use Rob's beta rank model, but Rob's model goes back to 2012. So we're using S&P. And when he first got there, UCLA, this is 2003, was his first tenure at UCLA as a head coach. Uh, UCLA was 65th in S&P Plus. Their offense was ranked 99th and their defense was 34th. Outside of that, um, UCLA didn't didn't land outside of number 45 in the country uh, during his time there. Their offense wasn't great, but their defense had some pretty solid years. Uh, in two, 20, uh, 2007, UCLA's defense finished fifth in the country. In 2006, their defense finished 27th in the country. They had a top uh, 15 offense in 2015. So, like, I was really anticipating, Rob, the S&P numbers to have UCLA around 60 because I remember watching those UCLA teams and just thinking, man, like he, he's not that impressive of a coach, but at the end of the day, the numbers really weren't terrible. No, they weren't. Ter- I mean, I, I guess like you said, and I recommend everyone do this, that when you think of power five teams, you want to grade it on like a one to 65 ish, you know, cause power five teams have far more resources than group of five teams. Um, so, you know, Darrell, he did okay at UCLA. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't good, um, but he wasn't terrible, right? Like, I mean, like that. Um, you know, he didn't go in and like drive him into the ground or anything like that. So I, I, I do think it's important to say that, right? Like he wasn't um, he wasn't so bad that he left the program in just like awful shape or anything along those lines. And he he did have some, you know, some of the UCLA players that we remember most came through during his tenure, but. 
the other side, yeah, I mean, the other side of it was is like they were never particularly good. Um, and they, they, you know, they did manage to put together a 10 one season that was mostly a lot of luck. Um, but they, uh, yeah, I mean, and I don't like, I mean, I don't think anybody really was looking at him after that, after he got let go at UCLA, cause he had, a, he was given five years there, um, as you know, maybe even getting another, like, I mean, that this is a big, the other part is like, this isn't just like somebody going on a retread, like this is a big space in between. So, but the positive, I mean, I guess the positive too, like with Darrell is, uh, you know, like he has a lot of connections from his time in the NFL. He's been in the NFL a long time. He's been around coaching a long time. He might be able to put together a reasonable staff um, on short notice. My guess is his chief of stays because um, he seems like a Colorado lifer at this point. Uh, but yeah, like they've got, they've got a, they've got, he's got a shot with his connections to maybe be able to spend some of that assistant pool wisely. Max, what other positives can you see in bringing on somebody that hasn't been a head coach for, oh, I don't know, uh, 12 years? Well, I definitely think that the NFL experience plays a part. I think that that, like, he's he's definitely not as notable as Herm Edwards was, but I still think that Herm Edwards, his NFL connections, I think has led to some success at Arizona State, given, like, who he's uh, gotten to hire for as part of his coaching staff. And also, I, I just think a positive is that since Mel Tucker brought Jay Johnson over to Michigan state, Colorado gets a chance to hire a really yeah. offensive coordinator. <laughs> so I just think being able uh, granted it, it is late in the process. So it makes things a lot tougher, but just getting to start your uh, basically like a, another chance of starting a, a staff from scratch, I think can really play a part. And I think like really the best example, and, and I've definitely said this before on the podcast, but North Carolina under Mac Brown in, in his first year back. I mean, people are, are celebrating what Mac Brown did, but it was really his uh, coordinator hires and Phil Longo at offensive coordinator and Jay Bateman as defensive coordinator. And those two hires just completely turned around the program. And if uh, Darrell can pull off a similar level of caliber hires for, for those positions, I, I don't think that Colorado can really challenge USC, but second place is there for the taking. Yeah. In the Pac-12 South. Yeah, I mean, it's the tough thing is that that was even as I say that is like the challenge that Mel Tucker is in where he's bringing Jay Johnson with him again is that this late in the process, putting putting together a staff is incredibly difficult. Um, So even with the larger assistant pool that he may have, um, he may end up locked in and and end up putting some people in place that may not be optimal for what Colorado wants to do. Okay, so let's go through the record here that uh, Darrell had at his time at UCLA. He's fired in 2007 at UCLA. He went 6-6. Six and six. They made it to the uh, Las Vegas Bowl, lost to BYU. In 2006, UCLA went 7-6. and six. They made it to the Emerald Bowl and lost to Florida State. In 2005 was the big year, and this is the thing. I've seen some CU uh, folks that are kind of cheerleading this hire talk about his record at UCLA. And basically, if you add this 10-2 season in, it actually looks a lot better. Uh, But he did have a 10-2 season in 2005 when they won the Sun Bowl against Northwestern. They actually had beat Oklahoma at the beginning of the year when they were ranked, and they beat a top-10 Cal. The problem there is, and this was kind of a fluky season. I want to get into this with you guys. Uh, Oklahoma ended up eight and four that year. Cal ended up eight and four, and they they pulled like three 
Well, let's talk about it now. They they pulled three wins out of their butts to win that to get to ten <laughs> ten and two. Like they barely beat Cal, they barely beat a bad Wazoo team, and they barely beat Stanford. And I don't know if you guys remember this. I was actually at this game. They come into Arizona, and uh, and I think they were like a top ten team. But like the whole time, I just was watching them going like this. They might be top ten, but this team isn't that good. And Arizona ends up waxing them by thirty-eight, and then they end up losing to USC by forty-seven points. So I think they were kind of exposed that year. This, like you mentioned, Rob, was kind of a fluky season. Yeah, and fans often, and it's it's not that I like I absolutely root for your team to win football games, but you know, record can be a bit of an illusion. And that UCLA team, uh, you know, wasn't nearly as good as their record that year, and that. That I think is is telling, you know, like you can you can you know Carl Durrell got lucky, UCLA got really lucky in that year. Um, I mean, I guess if you're a Colorado fan, if you're counting on them getting really lucky, um, at least one of the years that he's there, then you know maybe you can get to ten wins too. Max, were you following LA football at that point during the Durrell years? I was not, but I'm just looking at the box scores now, and it looks like that he went. Uh, that he only, well, he only, yeah, he only had the two losses in Pac-12 play, but I think he had a negative point differential because the Arizona game was minus 38. The USC game was minus 45. And then he has wins of four, seven, three, three, 23 and 10. So pretty sure he has a negative point differential in those, in those, uh, in that conference season. And one telling metric of how we look for regression with these teams from season to season is their record in close games. And, and USC or UCLA obviously uh, benefited that season. And then the next season they totally cratered. So yeah, I mean, UCLA was definitely fortunate that season, but I also think that Darrell, I think that he inherited a much better situation uh, compared to when he was gone and new Heisel inherited a pretty tough situation i think with ucla so i i just think that Darrell didn't leave the program in a better place than where, where he found it yeah when you look at the advanced metrics that year too they finished 37th a, a 10 and 2 team finishes number 37th and i think that highlights the point differential like differential and all that stuff um, yeah i just i watched that team very closely in 2005 just going how on earth did they win 10 games and uh, it's kind of funny to go back you know <laughs> come back from the wayback machine here and take a look at that going back a little bit further in 2004 ucla finished six and six they lost in the las vegas bowl and then as First year at UCLA, they finished six and seven, and they lost to Fresno State. To be fair, they did make a bowl all five years of his time there, but it was kind of those middling, you know, six and six, six and seven type of bowls. Um, but you know, you, you take what you can get. But I, I, I guess the thing that frustrates me a little bit, Rob, is it's UCLA. Like UCLA should be a better program, and he had an opportunity to be in the middle of Los Angeles recruiting to Westwood at a top tier university and outside of one year, he basically went 500 his entire time there. Yeah. Oh, so it's funny. Here's the funny thing. I actually have the 2005 data in beta rank because the folks I buy the data from have that one as like a freebie. So, oh. like, so like they graded out at 31 in beta rank that year. Uh, they went 10 and two, but beta rank had them at seven, had their, what their record should have been at seven and five. Yeah. Um, Pretty good offense at number 12. Awful defense at number 71. Special teams was 48. Yeah. But I tell people this all the time. I mean, that uh, UCLA is a, uh, because I think a lot of Pac-12 fans from schools, they sort of look at UCLA and they assume that UCLA, 
um, that the underlying sort of fundamentals around the UCLA program are what make UCLA bad and that like you can't really get UCLA to a good point. But what really makes UCLA bad is like really incompetent management. <laughs> and uh, Dan Guerrero uh, has made some really bad, bad hires in football uh, for years running. They uh, they don't raise a ton of money. Um, that, that 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 athletic department like really struggles. They raise less money than Washington State. You should like, but you still you should be better than than uh, the what we've seen from Carl Durrell. Even if we t- you know we sort of consistently see a lot of coaches sort of underperform. I look at what Jim Mora was able to go in and do at UCLA recruiting wise. I mean, Mora really struggled to get the offense going most of his career there after Mazzoni left, but. They uh, they recruited like gangbusters. Um, and I, I really think that, you know, Durrell should have been able to put more of it together there. Like UCLA is one of the plum jobs, that, you know, on the West Coast. And, and he really didn't do much with it. I do want to be fair in regards to the Pac-12 at the time. And it was a better conference. Uh, you had yeah. Pete Carroll had USC running. Jeff Tedford had Cal. I mean, this was the tenure where he had them at like a top 25 team consistently. Mike Riley had a, did a great job at, at Oregon State. You had Stoops at Arizona, and he had the program at, at kind of, you know, seven and five, but still it wasn't a cratering program while he was there. Dirk Cutter was at ASU. It, it, Mike Bellotti, this is the Bellotti era at Oregon. So there was definitely the, the competition was significantly higher at that time. And the Pac-12 was just more on on a level of other team or other conferences at the time too. So do want to put some context there, but still not not quite where you want it to be. Um, Max, I uh, let's talk a little bit about his time at Vanderbilt if you want. If not, we can throw it to Rob too because he was the offensive coordinator a few years ago, and that didn't go well. And you don't have to you don't have to call plays to be a good coach, but I think sometimes it does shed a little bit of light into what we're getting into here in Colorado. Yeah, and I mean, I'm definitely interested to hear um, Rob's numbers for what he did at Vanderbilt. But I was, I was just looking at Vanderbilt's Wikipedia page to just get a general timeline uh, for when the Pac-12 uh, Vanderbilt offensive coordinators reigned from. And it's from 2011 to 2018. So congratulations, <laughs> Pac-12. <laughs> Nashville's a great city, though. So, you know, like I don't <laughs> I can see why people wanted to go there. Oh, my God. I just see, like, SEC and, and Big Ten with their innovative offensive coordinator and head coaching hires and, and Pac-12 stooping down to Vanderbilt. It's just – it's un- this this conference is unbelievable to me. Uh, tell us a little bit about the beta rank numbers here, Rob, with uh, Vanderbilt. And then was it 24 – was he 2014 when he was there? 2014, yeah. yep. So he uh... – in 2014, they uh, he took over an offense that had finished number 65 the year before. So, I mean, it's not like it was some great offense or anything along those lines. However, they finished 100 in 2014 in beta rank. They were number 98 running the football, number 80 throwing the football. They really, really struggled across the board. There's not anything that really stands out as being particularly good um, for that Vanderbilt offense. And it was folks, you know, at the time, you know, criticized it as being unimaginative, um, you know, his play calling and that there wasn't just much there. And that that's sort of concerning. And I also I, I don't uh, I don't follow the pros nearly as much as I do uh, college football. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's not as if the Dolphins were running anything amazing. Um, no, but he was more of a position coach there, right? Wide receivers. No, no, but like, I mean, like, what I'm saying, though, is that he's not likely to have picked up any tricks, right? Like, this isn't like you're hiring somebody that was like Sean McVay's wide receiver coach with the Rams. 
Yeah, Max, you follow the NFL more than I do. What what do you think about just his experience there? I think you made a really good point in the regards to him being able to possibly draw um, from some, you know, uh, some coordinators or just some, you know, position coaches and stuff. So there is a bit of a network there, but you know, in terms of pure X's and O's and what he picked up, what do you think? Well, so with his NFL experience, so he was last with the Dolphins uh, this past season, and he was the uh, wide receivers coach there. And Dolphins wide receivers actually had a very good year, like Devontae Parker. He had a big breakout season for the Dolphins. Then they also had uh, an undrafted rookie, Preston Williams, out of Colorado State, who was really emerging before he suffered a season-ending injury. Uh, He was an assistant under Todd Bowles with the Jets. And during his time there, he was always viewed as one of the more respected assistants on the staff. So I think his NFL resume is pretty solid. But he was never really considered for like, for any bigger positions other than like a, a position coach. Like he was never an NFL uh, offensive coordinator and de- and certainly not an NFL head coach. But at, at, at least recently, it seems like that he did a nice job with his uh, wide receiver coaching with both the Jets and the Dolphins. Nice. Um, I want to get to, we have a couple questions that we had received on Twitter. Again, you can follow us at 12 pack radio and this kind of goes into, would you rather have Darrell or coach X? And I kind of want to go through some of the names that were floated around in that second grouping of coaches. And let's do that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal each week. You're here as in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back and wanted to talk some questions that we received, answer some. Uh, one of them calls from Paul Raish on Twitter, and he asks, would Brett Bielema have been a better choice for Colorado? And that was a name that kind of came out of left field as well. You know, it, it's it's every coaching search. We have the big names that we're going to go after, and then they likely will say no, or they're just in a better position where they're, they're currently at. And then you kind of have to think outside the box. And I was surprised that Bielema's name came up, but it kind of made some sense. You know, he had coaching head coach experience at Wisconsin, uh, certainly flamed out at Arkansas, but you know, it wasn't like he hadn't seen success before. So I'm curious, Max, what you thought about that name and whether or not it would be a better, um, better opportunity for Colorado than Durrell. Yeah. So, uh, like he definitely flamed out at Arkansas, but Arkansas is a tough job. I mean, going up against Nick Saban and, and being in that division, it's, it's very tricky. And I mean, Chad Morris, their most recent, uh, head coach, he got fired in the middle of his second year. And uh, before that, he was at Wisconsin, and he had great success there. And his final three years there, actually, uh, Wisconsin made the Rose Bowl uh, all three times. And the last one, actually, uh, he left for Arkansas. And so it was uh, athletic director and former head coach Barry Alvarez that took over for that game. But I think you would have been able to sell Colorado fans more on that hire compared to Darrell just because and he's he's been a college head coach more recently he's been at the Big Ten and at the SEC and those are obviously the two uh, top conferences today and I, I think the fact 
that he he's also an NFL assistant that puts him on a similar playing field as Darrell in that aspect. So yeah, I, I think it wouldn't like, I think I would have been more intrigued by Sarkeesian to be honest, but I don't think that it would have been the end of the world. But then again, you also have to think like, since it's his third stop and Colorado's not nearly as higher profile as Wisconsin or Arkansas, is there a chance that maybe he's burned out and, and won't give it his all like he tried to at his, at, at his first two stops? Yeah, what do you think, Rob? That makes a lot of sense to me, but curious what you think. Yeah, I mean, with Bielema, I feel like you have to figure out what – you have to ask this about really anyone that you, hire, you might hire who's – you know, record where they were successful is only at Wisconsin is like how much of it was just that Barry Alvarez just seems to keep Wisconsin rolling along uh, as the AD because like Gary Anderson hasn't been that great since he lost Wisconsin. Um, and Paul Chris wasn't amazing, you know, uh, at Pitt before he got hired back at Wisconsin. So I, I, Bielema, I think, would have been an easier sell than Carl Durrell, though, because he does have that, that at least a, a track record of success at Wisconsin. You know, getting to go to three Rose Bowls is no small thing. Um, yeah, so I would, if they, if, if you would have said, who would you rather have, Bielema or Carl Durrell, I would have said Brett Bielema. Yeah, I think so, too. The one of the things that this flows into is another question that we got from Tim Anderson Co. at Tim Anderson Co. And he asked, why not take a shot at one of the young guys, Graham Harrell, Alex Grinch, and Ryan Walters? He said, Darrell has a chance, and it was average. Colorado, accepting the fact that the 80s, 90s, and 2000s are never coming back, is that okay? And uh, will the Pac-12 and Larry Scott get us out of this mess? A lot to unpack from there. I want to talk about the young guys first. And I would, I would assume that because those names are floated, especially Harrell and Grinch, that they probably were approached and they probably just said no, Max. Is that the impression that you had? Well, the last um, I saw on Harold, Bruce Feldman tweeted that Colorado didn't even make contact oh. with Graham Harrell. Uh, just because, I don't know, like, I feel like they felt that they probably would have been rejected there. I mean, Harold was reached out by the Eagles this offseason to be their offensive coordinator. And if he's rejecting NFL uh, offensive coordinator gigs, USD uh, reportedly gave him a really uh, expensive extension as well. And so I, I just feel like Colorado felt that they didn't have a shot and, and they didn't want to attempt that. And, and I didn't see any reports with that with Avalos, but I'd imagine that's in a similar boat. And we were saying last podcast that I just don't think that Colorado is the job for these young coordinators, especially with Harold and Avalos projected to, uh, be the coordinators for top 10 uh, un- uh, units coming up this season, their stock is going to be so high next season, and they're going to have the pick of a lot of jobs if the numbers and and what we think actually come to fruition. And so it'd be kind of silly to accept a, a, like a middling at best Colorado job right now. Yeah, it seems like those initial names were nice, but it just – I mean, I like Colorado. Like, I actually am more bullish on Colorado than I think Max, you are, and Rob, you are, just because I think it's a good school. I think the location is gorgeous. I think that they can tap in as long as they get the recruiting. You can still tap into California, and they've certainly pulled a lot of talent from Arizona, and there's a huge population boom there. Um, you can go to Texas, uh, but still. It's, it's not a top four job, not a top five job in the Pac-12, but I, there's also the ability to win because you're in the Pac-12 South, so you can get some short-term experience there building up a program. 
But um, at the end of the day, when you're looking at people like Alex Grinch and, and Harold and Avalos, like you mentioned, Max, it just seems like there are, there are going to be better opportunities with programs that have deeper pockets. And if you look at like Harold's from his position, he's approached by the NFL and also like his coach might be fired and there's an opening at USC. And if you're running one of the best offenses in the country and showing that you can be the guy that keeps the program together, who knows, you know, like, I don't know if that would actually happen, but if you're thinking from his oper- his standpoint, there might be an opportunity for him to take over the USC program, even if they're looking for higher level coaches. So, um, any case, I, I think that's interesting. But I, I, Rob, I want to go with you here. Let's do an either or. We just talked about whether or not you would want Carl Durrell or Brett Bielema. Let's go through that second list of names that were there. Um, and and like, let's start with you, Rob, and let's go to Max, and then we'll go down the, the list of these coaches. Would you rather have Carl Durrell or Jim Mora? Uh, I hate to say Jim Mora, and I really <laughs> oh, hate no. to say it. Like, I. <laughs> <laughs> he was so bad. More, He's such a douchebag. I thought more. No, but so but more did some really some like more did some smart things at his tenure during his tenure at UCLA. Like there are some things that really worked, and like I, I say that like his problem was that most of his, the stuff that didn't work was all just like so stupid, stupidly self inflicted on offense with his offensive coordinator hires, but they mostly recruited really well. Um, he made a smart hire in picking up Tom Bradley, um, who had been Penn State's defensive coordinator for a long time. And the defense there was mostly really good during his tenure. And he eventually hired Jed Fish. And then, of course, like the, the defense magically fell apart at the last, you know, that last season he was there. But wait, like he he had some things that actually worked And UCLA in Mora's tenure. They, their highs, you know, in wins were actually also matched uh, in, in the advanced stats. They were they were really good. So, I I think if you had to pick between the two, um, you know, you you'd take Jim Mora. Okay, Jim Mora or Carl Durrell Max. Oh, Mora for me, just because. No, like, I, I'm echoing like what Rob is saying. He was a really strong recruiter. Like you see, had some really incredible talent that they recruited under Mora. I mean. I probably the big one is Miles Jack. He was that one of the most exciting players in all of college football. And, and that's really, and even was Jalen Phillips also a Mora recruit technically. Mm, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, was, yeah. Because he was the number one recruit in the country. Like they got some big, big names under Mora. And Josh Rosen. I mean, they, they recruited. Yeah. Rosen too. Yeah, absolutely. So they didn't do yeah. anything with him, but, but they had him. No. <laughs> But oh, Miles oh, Jack was good on a very good UCLA defense. No, yeah, I mean the the full team itself. Yeah, obviously. yeah. But toward, I mean, toward the last three or four years, the last three years of his tenure were were bad, mostly driven by horrendous offense. And you have to give more credit, like UCLA, most of the time performed like they under when when Brett Hundley was under center, like they won the majority of the USC games. And I guess, granted, like more took advantage of what's new. Uh, some interesting coaching hires at USC <laughs> or, or some coaches that might've been in over their head. But I mean, Mora, I, I think at his best, like definitely elevated the UCLA program to highs that have not been experienced in a in a long time in, in Westwood, I, I would say. And, and, and especially ones where the numbers back it up because we were just going over Carl Durrell and how that 10 and two season was kind of fraudulent, but Morris teams were, especially the defenses, they were really stingy. Mm. All right, let's move on to the next one. Carl Durrell or Troy Calhoun, Rob. 
Troy Calhoun. Don't even, it's not even close. Like, <laughs> Troy Calhoun, he doesn't, I mean, you, he has to scrounge to figure it out. You have to, you have to really work hard at a service academy um, to put together good football. And he's consistently done it at Air Force. And it would certainly be a step up in the level of recruiting that he would have to do uh, at a power five school. That said, the um, you you couldn't question his ability to develop talent and, and scheme. Okay. And Troy Calhoun, by the way, is the Air Force head coach for people that are not familiar with the name. What do you think, Max Strell or Calhoun? Well, I mean, Calhoun uh, and Air Force, they put up a very impressive performance against Colorado this past season. Uh, but yeah, like, like what Rob was saying, it's uh, with recruiting and, and the type of um, coaching uh, budgets and and the type of personnel that you're, you have at, at service academies, it's really tough to win there. And Calhoun and Air Force, like they had a really dynamic offense. The, the defense, not so much, but the offense was legitimate. I mean, they, they played Pac-12 tough. And I think that giving... Colorado that like a certain unique edge with with their coaching staff I I think could have been a really interesting hire for the buffs sticking with the service academy theme let's start with you Max here Carl Durrell or Kenya Matalolo the Navy head coach uh I get like I, I would go with Ken uh just because granted like the the there was the Arizona debacle but you're getting a head coach that has done really like wonders um at, at his uh current stop at navy and i would definitely prefer a head coach who's been winning now versus someone who hasn't been a head coach at the college ranks for over a decade you agree rob yeah absolutely i'd take i'd take the amount i mean i i think the knock with the, both of those guys is that they you know you 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 really can't run i mean unless you want to really stubbornly be Paul Johnson, um, you really can't run the triple option at a power five school and expect to be able to recruit very well. Um, so they would, they would have to make some offensive adjustments. Um, I think in order to be successful. Okay. Two more here, Carol Durrell or Darren Chiverini, Rob. Uh, I'm going to, I hate this one. This one's hard because like, Chiverini was, was was legitimately terrible as an offensive coordinator too at his most recent OC experience. But I will say, I think Chiverini is is very good at recruiting. I think he's good at identifying um, talent. Uh, I guess what I yeah, I'll take Chiverini. That's that's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an unknown. You know, it's like the known unknowns. Like, what is he going to do as a head coach? But what do you think, Max? Who would you rather have? I'm going to go with. Uh, Jerome on this one. Uh, I just think having a first time head coach at Colorado now, especially with all of the departures uh, with LaVisca Chenault and Montez this offseason, like I think that there definitely could have been some major ball potential. But granted, I mean, the locker room absolutely loved Chivarini. So that would have been a positive. But I just think having a first time head coach with what, and I just think that the staff that he would have been able to hire, it, it would have been tough for Shiverini to pull off any big hires there. And so I just, I, I think it really could have, I think it had more disaster potential than Durrell. 
Okay, last name here. Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator at Missouri, who uh, spent a lot of time at Colorado and is the safeties and cornerbacks coach, Rob. I would take Walters. I mean, he's he was on when that when I first heard that name and I mean when he was you know, he was doing well with the Missouri this recently. Like he was on Arizona staff as well, like at the very tail end of the Mike Stoops era. Um, really well regarded guy. That mis- that Missouri defense was very, very good. Um, you know, a guy that you think could could recruit. Um, I would take him over to Rob. What do you think, Max? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go with the young up-and-coming coach there. And I think it's pretty telling that Eli uh, Drinkwitz, who uh, came over from Appalachian State and is now the head coach at Missouri, uh, opted to retain him. Yeah, I think I think getting that young buck in that wants to really grind and get his work done, um, I, I would almost always take that over somebody that has already been there and done that and is kind of easing back into the college spectrum. So um, let's talk about... I want to rank the actual head coaches and the hires in the entire Pac-12, and then we'll talk some basketball. Let's do it right after this. Hey, everyone, it's Bryant, and clearly I just said that we were going to talk about the Pac-12 coaches and rank them and rank the incoming hires and talk a little bit of basketball. We will do that, and we did 45 minutes of that, but I wanted to make sure to get this Carl Durrell podcast out immediately now that the hire has been announced. So stay tuned. We're going to release a second podcast likely on Thursday that will cover Pac-12 basketball and the coaching hires and actually some more optimistic talk about Durrell. He could certainly be a really strong CEO. CEO type leader for Colorado, but um, that conversation will be for later. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this show. If again, if you enjoyed it, make sure to share it and write a review. Uh, you can find us on any podcast catcher. You can write the reviews on Apple Podcasts. So we will catch you on Thursday.